In the last year to 2022, okay, 15 billion words were written using AI assistance in Jasper alone. Do you have any idea how many words are in all of the English language articles of Wikipedia? The entire, every word in Wikipedia, I have no idea. I've never even thought about this. I thought about it and I looked it up <laughs> and it's- That's good product marketing right here, Megan. <laughs> Four billion. Before we get into the show, I wanna tell you about HubSpot for startups. If you are an early stage startup and you're trying to grow, you have to check out our HubSpot for Startups program. You can get up to 90% off your first year of your HubSpot subscription. Plus, you will get access to incredible education and events. With HubSpot, you can run your entire startup from marketing sales and customer success all on HubSpot. You can increase your leads, boost revenue, and improve your customer experience. HubSpot for startups help you do it all. Plus, you will get 24-7 customer support and integrations with more than 1,500 of today's most popular apps. HubSpot is trusted by some of the most successful startups and more than 200,000 companies around the world. To see if you're eligible to join the HubSpot for Startups program and take your growth to the next level, visit HubSpot.com startups. Welcome to another episode of Marketing Against the Grain, your show for marketing-minded people everywhere. I'm your host, Kit Bodner, and I am joined by a very special co-host today. Not my normal Kieran Flanagan co-host, very special, hot-off-the-presses guest, Megan Keeney-Anderson, who is the head of marketing over at Jasper, an amazing AI company, is joining us today for a very, very special episode focused all on marketing and the impacts of generative AI on the future of marketing in 2023. It is going to be awesome. Megan, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. I'm so psyched to be here. I love the topic and it's great to catch up an old friend. <laughs> I know. For background, Megan and I worked together for a long, long time at HubSpot. We know each other super well and you've gone on to do amazing work in the world of marketing, but you landed at one of the hottest and coolest AI companies around Jasper. And first of all, like I sprained the show as generative AI and a lot of people who hear AI, they think of just like AI, AI is everything. And, and, and we did it, we called it generative AI for a very special reason. Can you kind of tell us all like what you think about when you define generative AI and how you all think about it? Yeah. So, I mean, the world of AI is massive and it's been around for a while. I think there have been, you know, the era previous to this was really focused on what we kind of call enterprise AI, which is using AI to sort of comb through massive data sets and find insights and, you know, be put to use in the enterprise that way. Generative AI is just different in nature. And what it does is it takes prompts that you give it and it creates something wholly new, hence the word generative. <laughs> yeah. And so generative AI is a term used to describe whether you're creating writing or art or music or code, any kind of AI whose primary purpose is to generate something wholly new based on a set of input from you. Okay. And off air, you told me a pretty funny story on generative AI. So you got, I'm yeah. going to make you share it with everybody. Give them a little peek behind the scenes that are chit chat, you know? Okay. So first of all, Kip, it's been a year. And by a year, <laughs> I mean 
I, I started at Jasper decade. in September. Started the decade. Yeah. You know, the reason I say that it's been so much fun and I love spaces that are changing a lot yeah. because I think there's tons of stories in it. And when the landscape shifts, it's almost like you got to surf with it, right? Like you got to, you got to react. Yeah. So over the last couple of months in particular, with the release of ChatGPT, AI has gotten just massively popular. Crazy. It's hit to the tipping point in terms of adoption. My mom knows about it now. I get all of those funny mom weird text messages about <laughs> whether I'm helping kids cheat on their homework. Uh, <laughs> you are, aren't you? I'm 100%. That's oh, my yeah, life purpose. But anyway, so, so we decided at Jasper, like, look, it feels like this is hitting a fever pitch. We need to host an event to bring together all these different minds around generative AI, business leaders, AI experts, you know, writers, philosophers, like, like the whole gang. We're going to get them all together. And we're going to talk about all of these issues that are arising and kind of opportunities that are being presented. We decided this in December. It has been an all-out sprint for the last two months to get this event ready, which is going to happen in February 14th. Hold on, hold on. So you started in December for an event that was going to be in the middle of February. Do not recommend. That's one, that's a suicide mission for everybody watching. Like I've done a lot of events that is way too short of a turnaround. So I, I just wanted to interject that like, at the start of this, you you have to be exhausted because that is a crazy time period for an event. Yeah, we're running on adrenaline right now. Like we're doing everything <laughs> humanly possible because of how fast things are moving. So we decided, look, we don't want this to be about Jasper. We we took a, a cue out of the HubSpot and inbound playbook. Like we want this to be about this space and this time, this transformative yeah. technology. And so we're going to call it Gen AI, short for generative AI. The great name. I thought so. I love it. Right? I love that name. Fast forward to last night, we are two weeks out from the event. <laughs> like the yeah. programs are done, things are printed. And I, I log on to Twitter and Sam Altman, who's a, who's a genius and really kind of like the godfather of AI, he's the head of OpenAI um, yeah. that makes a lot of this technology possible. He got online and, and tweeted out, you know, generative AI is, in my opinion, a dumb term and I hope <laughs> it doesn't stick. And Gen AI is even worse. And I was like, come on. I was so close. We were just there. We got over the hump of like, the you know, it looks like the event's going to be sold out. Like, you know, all the things that were scaring me about this two-month planning event had finally subsided. <laughs> and then Sam shows up. And it, look, it's, it's totally within Sam's right to hate on a term. Category names as a whole tend to be pretty dull and not interesting. The thing is, they just, their main function is they stick, right? Like, yes, you don't pick a category name. Rarely, rarely this happened, but rarely do you pick a category name. Usually the category name kind of establishes itself because it gets into the lexicon of analysts and, you know, media and the people, the end users that are using it. I would just say like the reason we kind of framed and titled the show like generative AI is because there's a lot of different types of artificial intelligence, right? Yeah. And like, Sam is sitting up at the broad scale of like, right. hey, he is he is for all AI. And Sam, thank you for what you're doing. I think that's awesome. But the rest of us, our brains aren't big enough to handle. We need different kind of subcategories of AI. And you're here kind of talking about one important category that we, you and I think is very important, especially for marketers, right? Yes. Like if you're data analysts, if you're engineers, there's other types of AI that are going to be really for you. If you're a marketing-minded person, generative AI is probably the most important category of AI for you today. Do you think that's true? Do you, at you this agree point, with that? yeah, absolutely at this point. And the thing is, 
it in itself is so big, right? <laughs> right. Like we're talking about worlds within worlds here. And so a lot of what we're seeing when we talk to people who are just hearing about generative AI or getting started in it is still this like overwhelmed feeling of, I kind of know that this is going to be a big deal, but I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I don't know how to make it part of my operating model if I should, how to think about it as sort of a, you know, CMO or a growth leader. And so it very much feels like that same feeling that we've gotten around, you know, when when social media first came on and all of the marketers were kind of like, what? do we do something with that? Yeah. Like, what do we do there? And then they get over the learning curve and they, they adopt it. And when mobile first came out, right? These are like transformative technologies that if you do it right, can lead to a real competitive advantage for early adopters. And if you kind of sit back, can have you be left behind. And I think in the beginning, but when I first started, again, way back eight months ago, uh, in another life. <laughs> September. <laughs> in those days, we were hearing a lot from like the end user, like the blogger mm -hmm. who was like, I'm just overwhelmed. I have to write five blog posts this week. Like I need help. It was definitely like a pain solution conversation. You've got pain in staring at the blank page. We can help you accelerate your content or get off that blank page. Yeah. Increasingly, the conversation, at least for us, is with these marketing leaders who, yes, they care deeply about the pain of their team. They don't want their team to burn out. Sure. But they're actually now increasingly more concerned about how do I make sure that I'm pioneering in this mm. and not, you know left behind. Well, all right. So we're talking all about the future of generative AI. I've got a lot of places I want to go. Start us there. Like, what is your advice? Well, before we even go there, I want to see if you agree with something because you were just talking <laughs> about it's like mobile. It's like, you know, it's like social media. My argument is that AI is bigger than that. Like, I think artificial intelligence is akin to the internet. And that would mean like generative AI as like a subcategory would be like as big as like iOS or, or mm -hmm. you know, the web browser, a massive systemic change in how we work. It's it's like a higher order magnitude than I think most people are thinking about it today. So so kind of first of all, like agree or disagree with that. And then we, I want to talk about some of the like, how do you in the here and now kind of get ahead of this? I certainly agree with it. It's why I wanted to get into the space because it does feel on that level. Yeah, I think that we're going to be in a time when everything's got not just AI built into it, but generative AI built into it, right? All the tools out there, all the platforms, and it's going to be part of how we create. I mean, if you think about it, like here's a staggering fact. Oh, I love it. I love it. Go. In the last year, so 2022. Okay. And again, remember, we are a two-year-old startup. So 2022, 15 billion words were written using AI assistance in Jasper alone. <sighs> Do you have any idea how many words are in all of the English language articles of Wikipedia? I have no idea. I've never even thought about this. I thought about it and I looked it up. And it's, <laughs> That's good product marketing right here, Megan. This is good product marketing, but go. Four billion. Okay. Okay. All right. In history of, of Wikipedia, which is, you know, launched in like 2010, I want to say, which is pretty young itself, right? Yeah. So, I mean, what's the point here, right? Like, is the point... Are we just like trying to get to as many words as humanly possible and <laughs> no, like get no. some sort of trophy at the end of that? Like, that's not the point. The point is that productivity and the act of creating, it builds upon itself. And yes. we've seen in history with the internet, 
you know, with things like go back to the printing press, whenever you have this sort of moment where something releases all the barriers on creation, you get this period of just massive productivity and massive creation after that. Now, it's not all good stuff. No. You get a lot of junk. Definitely not. Like 15 billion words, there has to be a lot of junk. A lot of junk in that. And so I think our role now is to figure out how do we use it in a way where we're not just putting a bunch of junk out on the internet and that we're actually reinvesting the time that we get back. Because if all this does is it, it allows us to crank out another 10 blog posts in the same way we always have a week, that's a failure, right? Yeah. What it should do if you think about the process of how you, and again, I'm, I'm very narrow here in just like <laughs> blogging. We, we should yeah. talk about code and all that stuff. What it should do is you've got ideation, you've got research and like substance building, you've got content production, you've got editing, and then you've got distribution, right? Or repackaging mm-hmm. for distribution. That's kind of like the writing process. Yeah. Right now, all the emphasis is on content production. All of it. Like, Literally, we don't even have enough time to think about original ideas. So we just do X uses for Y in 2023, or we knock off a BuzzFeed article and try to adapt it to our industry. It's not because we're not creative. It's not because we don't want to do good content. It's because the time is getting sucked up in the production. And so if you take that down and reinvest that into, hey, we've got time back. We're going to do original research instead of stealing stats off of Statistica. Mm-hmm. We're going to do creative repackaging of this content in ways that fit TikTok or podcasts or other channels for distribution. We're going to invest in editing to, first of all, compensate for a lot of the flaws that are in AI-assisted content, the bias, the incorrect facts <laughs> stated confidently. Uh, we're going to take people out of like the content farms and put them into the editor's chair. And just that one sliver of it changes the way that you market and the outcomes. All right. There was a lot of knowledge dropped into like two minutes right there. I, w- I want to try to go back to a couple of things and cover it for everybody watching. Yeah. So first of all, we're kind of the framing here is like, we want to help you be better, uh, be a pioneering marketer with generative AI in 2023, right? And your first point is like, hey, if you just make more of what you're doing, it's kind of the opposite. You're not going to be there. Yeah. Thumbs down, like get out of here. But you're saying, hey, what you can do is solve for the production and use the time that AI saves you in production to make the content bigger. I think there's actually a bigger opportunity that I want to get your feedback on. Yeah. And it relates to what you and I were doing before we even started recording the show. Before we were recording the show, we were like, hey, you know, like we've got a lot of stuff we want to talk about. How do we want to frame it up? And like, what do we think is going to resonate most with people? Like the framing of a subject of, of an idea and the picking of an idea are like actually the two most important parts, mm-hmm. especially in our society today, sadly. Because the content itself gets consumed at 10, 20, 30%, right? At a, at a consumption rate, especially yeah. in text content these days. Yeah. And I think one way to be a pioneering marker today with generative AI is to use AI to help you generate lots of different topic ideas that you then test really quick on an ad basis or in an email send basis, those types of things. Do you agree with that? And do you see people doing that? Are you all doing that? How's that working today? So... I might, I disagree with it, but. Oh, sweet. Um, okay. This is, I was hoping you might disagree with it, yeah. but let's so go. So I disagree because I think that that's the part that people are actually inherently good at mm. finding what's interesting, okay. finding angles. It's just that we don't give them time to do it. Okay. This is a hot take. I like this. So I would not outsource that. 
because then I think you're going to get a bunch of cloned articles that have tested really well. And you're just kind of echo chamber recycling the things that are testing well. I would do that for like headlines, maybe. I would do that for ad copy, certainly. Yeah, I was thinking for headlines more than ideas, probably. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So then like, I think that makes sense. And I definitely think if like, if you're stuck, you got nothing. <laughs> Go to AI, go like pull that screen up and start talking to your robots. Again, conversation kickstarts ideas. Mm -hmm. But I also think that we've like put to sleep our skill at finding stories and kind of put it on autopilot, even without AI. Oh, yeah. We go to search traffic to figure out what stories to write. And that's good because like we're thinking about distribution. But I think that I'd love to see people refine that skill of finding a great angle on a story finding great framing for how to go after a topic and, you know, using AI to speed up the rest of it. All right. I have a crazy idea that I want to run by you on this topic. And we did a show a few weeks back on an AI show with Rob Lennon, who's a really awesome content creator, really great prompt engineer, et cetera, really deeply technical and, and knowledgeable. If you're into AI, you should go back and check out that show. Definitely. And one of the things he talked about was really using AI to get at the heart of what your customer wants. Like, hey, AI, this is, this, you know, this is my customer. What would be most interesting to them? And you basically just kind of took the opposite side, which is, hey, if we all do that, we're all going to end up in this spot of sameness, you know, where yeah. we're just going to all be talking about the same thing. Well, what about this? This is my crazy idea of the day. What if you asked AI what your customers would hate? Mm. What would be least interesting to your customers? Take the other poll. And then like take that kernel and figure out, okay, how do I make this relevant to them? Because inherently that is the most differentiated thing. Yeah. Right? Like that inherently is like, oh, nobody is going to talk about this because they don't think it is relevant to this audience and they're not going to talk about it. And the magic is finding if I can figure out a way to make that thing relevant to this group. Are you buying my crazy <laughs> idea or not? What do you think? That is the most convoluted backwards <laughs> yeah. route into yeah. an idea. And I think it's just so crazy. It might work. Uh, it's, it's insane. But like, yeah, I, no, wanted, I, I wanted to like, I wanted to tell the history of the Rob yeah. and everything. But like at the same time, I think it would work. Like these are the questions that I want us to kind of hammer out. Because you get into, okay, well, if I leverage AI to tell me what my customers want, yeah. then I'm depending heavily on is that sample size good? Like, yes. Uh, like, Make that point. Make that point harder. That's important for everybody to understand. Right now, there's a couple of different ways that you can get at AI. One is through like a massive language model like OpenAI. Another is through like a, a kind of custom built model that um, is more expensive at this point for people to do. But like you get to control more of like what the entry points are. Both of them, though, you don't have a lot of control over the sample that is feeding the responses. Right. Yes. And so... If you are trying to say, hey, like, what do we think that the audience is going to think about this headline? It's going to give you an output. It's going to give you an answer. And that answer is going to sound really right. But you have no idea what fed into that answer. And frankly, AI doesn't even really have an idea of what fed into that answer because it's not built that way. There are so many factors that go into, you know, what it suggests that you can't like deconstruct it to you know, this came out of this type of an audience. And that's where bias comes in. That's where like, you know, lack of inclusivity and the training models. Honest to God, we're making it more complicated than it needs to be. If you want to know what your customers want, go talk to your customers. <laughs> and then use AI to afford you the time in the production to afford you the time to go do that, right? But I do like the idea of like, hey, what does everybody hate? 
Yeah, because even if it's a small sample size, yeah, it gets you the, the polar opposite. Well, the point you just made here, and I'm going to paraphrase for drama, is that AI is really awesome, but it's also like Russell Hammond on The House and Almost Famous. It's the ultimate irrational confidence where like he jumps into the swimming pool and it's like, I'm a golden god. And yep. it's like, that is what AI is. It's like whatever answer it gives you, it is like, no, this is obviously the best answer ever. Right. (laughs) Right. It's just like completely irrationally confident. And it's up to the marketer or the marketing minded person in this case to say, "Eh, is it really the best answer? Yeah. And if you just take everything at face value, that's another way to not be a pioneer. One of the ways to be a pioneer is to actually question AI. Right. And, And actually understand, is this response right for the problem I'm solving? Yeah. And that takes like original research like because even if you fast forward in a world where more and more content is assisted by ai then you know the google searches you're going to do are going to reinforce that point so i would say humans are needed as part of this equation well this is i wouldn't touch on this keep going yeah and we need to know how our roles need to shift to compensate for where ai is weak and leverage where ai is strong we'll be right back but let me tell you about a podcast from our network. Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, your audio destination for business professionals. Join husband and wife team, Al and Leanne Elliott, as they dispel myths, impart wisdom, and answer all your questions about finding, keeping, and motivating great people. Their audience loves the show's unique blend of theory and practice, which helps business owners and leaders simplify consumer psychology. If you enjoy learning what makes people tick, then this is the show for you. Recently, they did an amazing episode on what makes your team say yes, exploring the psychology of influence. Phil Agnew shares his rich experience in behavioral science and delves into the intricate psychology of influence. They explore the fine line between influence and manipulation, uncovering how subtle cues and messaging impact team decision-making and motivation. Whether you're a leader, marketer, or anyone interested in the Art of Intelligence, this episode is packed with strategies and psychological principles to understand and harness the power of yes in teams and organizations. Listen to Truth, Lies, and Workplace Culture wherever you get your podcasts. And one of your constant themes in our advice for the next year in in generative AI has been this kind of balance between AI saving humans' time so humans can go do the more important stuff. Is kind of, I think that's one of your guiding principles in the conversation we're having today. Yeah. Uh, and so you and I, we texted earlier this week about something that Fiverr did. And so Fiverr.com mm-hmm. is a marketplace for services. So it connects humans with yeah. other people to provide services for them, right? Mm-hmm. And they did an open, open letter. letter, I think, what, in the New York Times, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. In the New York Times to AI that basically was like, we come in peace, AI. And like, the humans are here to help you. It was like yeah. kind of the overall tone. It's so, a little bit of a detour. Like, what'd you think of that? Like, yeah. as a marketer, as a, like, what did you think of that approach? Okay. I like the positioning where Fiverr is headed. So I'm a product marketer. So I'm by. Oh, yeah. We're going to talk a little bit more product marketing. <laughs> yeah. Minute, like go, I, go. I always start with this uh, positioning stuff. I like the positioning of where they're headed. And I'll tell you why in a minute. I thought the execution was mixed. And same. The reason why I thought the, I would love to hear the reason why you thought the execution was mixed. And mixed is my nice way of saying poor. I thought it was terrible. So, yeah. <laughs> so you're, not, you're way nicer than me. We've, no, we've known this for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's true. So first, first of all, can we talk for a minute about the open letter in the New York Times? Can we induct it into the marketing graveyard? 
We have to hang that jersey from the ceiling. <laughs> it's retired, baby. Okay, you talked about like almost famous. I'll give you another movie reference. Like the first time that the open letter in the New York Times happened, it was like mind blowing because it was like that moment in Say Anything where like John Cusack is standing up there with the boombox boom in his head and like preaching to a point he's trying to make. Or it's like the Jerry Maguire moment where he's like, who's with me? It's meant to be like a battle cry. Yes. And you do it when you are going after a Goliath as the competitor. I think that is when it still works really well. Third Love did this with Victoria's Secret mm -hmm. when they called Victoria's Secret out for only having a certain standard of beauty. They executed a really good New York Times open letter. But you do it when you're going after a Goliath. You don't do it when you're going out to say, hey, OpenAI, can we be friends? You know, like, <laughs> totally. there's no... You want to hang out? Maybe, maybe have a soda on the back porch? Yeah, it's meant to be like a bomb thrower and we just were watering it down. I actually think we should retire it in totality or at very least, you should only do it when it fits not just the David and Goliath, but when the execution fits. The thing I really hated about the Fiverr open letter, it was that like, I imagine that if AI was reading that letter, it would laugh. It was mm. like, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling me you're coming in peace and you're doing that in like static text in like... <laughs> on this piece that. of paper? I don't understand. That like doesn't make any sense. It's like an anachronistic way to... <laughs> it's like a cave person coming with like tablets, you know? <laughs> it's like, well, like what, like that like blew my mind. I was like, no, 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 no. Like if you were going to come in peace, then you, first of all, you have to put the people, not the words. Yes. Front and center. Yes. Right? If you're going to, if your whole argument is that people are here to help AI, the people have to be front and center, not yes. the words. 100%. The, the, the words being front and center is a lazy way of doing it. I'm sorry for whoever did this, but like, it, I, I'm just giving you my feedback. Like, they should have made the people front and center and they should have done something with AI to make their point. Like yeah. they should have used people and AI together to really illustrate their point, to like make something really cool, whether it be a piece of art, like a really cool like yep. text or something. Like I can see that. That would have been amazing. The like, I don't know, the marketer in the agency who writes some copy and throw it yeah. in the New York Times. Like, I, I'm not there for that. They let the format dictate the message, right? Yes. And like Nailed they it. should have been talking to freelancers or to companies trying to navigate this time instead of addressing the letter to open AI. Open AI doesn't care if you come in peace or not. Like, no, again, Sam Goldman is the godfather. Care. Like, it, it's, it's the new internet. Like, they don't, they don't yes. care. But freelancers who are wondering if this is going to be a job killer mm -hmm. or a job creator, they care. Talk to yeah. them. Right. And, and frankly, like, okay, so here's where I'm going to redeem Fiverr on the other side. I think we can all agree. I, I think there's no redemption, but go ahead. <laughs> so let's imagine that the letter never happened. I do like where they're headed with their positioning as a company in that they are making a space for AI in their marketplace. And I like that not just because I work at an AI company. Yeah. I like it because from a differentiation standpoint, okay, think about it. you got Fiverr, you got Upwork, you got Toptail, you've got freelancer.com, you got like a bunch of different freelance marketplaces. I haven't even said them all. And they're all trying to really sell the same thing and compete on the same thing. And most of these kind of compete on pain. Like, you know, they talk about, hey, you've got more work than you need to handle, hire a freelancer, or this is a great way to make money. You know, mm -hmm. Upwork, Toptail, they all compete on pain. I think that there's only a few ways that you can go for positioning. You can compete on pain. 
on audience, i.e. you know the audience better than anybody else, change. We're in a time of change. Like, let's throw some bells on that. Or going after a big enemy, which is what, like what Third Love did for Victoria's Secret, right? Fiverr basically looked at the landscape and was like, everybody's competing on pain and trying to just say, hey, we solved that problem. No one is talking about change. And so they're the first ones of like gig marketplaces to say, I know there's a lot of fear freelancers. I know there's a lot of confusion companies. We're going to be the one to sort of shepherd you through that change to show you what kind of roles can exist in AI and why you would need them as a company. I like that move. I think the execution was shot. Well, I like the back-end strategy. I feel like the way they executed it was also... Like they were trying to play offense in a very defensive way. Yes. Like it basically turned into comparison marketing, which Kieran and I talked about on the show a few episodes back. And it's like, man, anytime you get into a comparison marketing battle, you lose, right? (laughs) Like, you know, uh, we had Christopher Lockheed on and the quote that really stuck with me is, different is a choice, better is subjective, it's debate. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's really clear when something's different. When something is better, it's like you just can't, it's really hard to argue yeah. that. And like they tried to make the better argument more so than the different argument. And I don't love it. They they kind of tiptoed between the two, but yeah. uh, everybody, like, we'll put some B roll or a link to the Fiverr yeah, ad yeah, in, yeah. In, in, in the show so everybody can check it out and make make their Tell opinion. Tell us what you think. I am really curious about yes. it. Yes. Because people, it's weird. Like some people really liked it, but also then it just didn't. It didn't reverberate. Yes. It didn't go anywhere. There was like, you know, a couple of articles, no, you know. They didn't have they didn't have a bigger surround sound of of a movement yeah. around it either, which is, yeah. a, is a problem. It's it's okay if it's a one piece. If it is the like entire strategy, it's gonna fall flat. But please leave a comment. Tell us what you think about the Fiverr open letter in the New York Times. And before we get, we're gonna do a rapid fire on generative AI and certain specific disciplines of marketing coming up. Before we do that. If you're watching the show and you've watched more than just this episode, I'm going to ask you, like Megan and I are donating time right now. I would love for you to donate a click on the subscribe button. We've got a nice agreement that we're going to keep bringing value to you. We would really hope that if you enjoy what we're doing, you're going to hit the subscribe button. We'd love, love, love for you to continue to watch the show. It's going to get better and better. So just a quick note on subscribing. All right. But Megan... We've talked about some of the macro stuff of how to be a pioneer in generative AI in 2023. I want to talk about generative AI's role in specific types of marketing. Cool. And since you are a product marketer by trade, I want to go into what role do you think generative AI is going to have in product marketing? Okay. And then we'll go into a couple others from there. I'm going to give you rapid fire answers for these, then we can dig into it. So let's do it. We'll do like where to use it, where to not use it. I love this framing. In product marketing... Do not use it for positioning. You will end up with the Mad Libs positioning statement. You will end (laughs) up with the same cookie cutter stuff that will end up with where Fiverr was, right? Use it for the campaign rollout. So write your original positioning doc, your creative brief, do all your customer research that you've done firsthand, and then use AI to take that brief and turn it into a full social media campaign, all your emails, the homepage copy and get the components of the campaign out faster because that's the hardest part. The most thoughtful part about product marketing is the positioning. The most time intensive hard part is getting a tight timeline launch out the door. I love the do and do not use. All right, that's product marketing. I want to go next to content marketing, something we spent some time on already today, but give us the quick 
quick framing of where to use and not use. Yep. Do not set it and forget it. Do not hit that one button and then hit publish. Like, don't do it. It'll be bad copy. It won't rank well. It won't do well with your customers. Do not do that. Use it in places where there's friction. Maybe you have trouble with the starting paragraph. Maybe you have trouble with the close. Use it there. Maybe you have trouble with transitions. Use it there. Use it to synthesize a bunch of research that you've done into a statement. Use it, this is my favorite, to write up all of the like SEO schema that you need mm. to show up in snippets and FAQ boxes. Like these things that maybe you're, that. are not your strength. Put a plug AI in where you're weak and don't undercut where you're strong. Don't outsource the whole thing. Love it. Awesome. Next up, I'm going to call it demand gen. So think of like ads, email marketing, that aspect of marketing. I love AI for this use case. I, I do think too. it's like, this is actually kind of weird. Jasper started in like short form. They're, they were originally called conversion.ai. Mm-hmm. It's just like, how do we rapidly test a bunch of different ads? High volume, very data-based, very quick turnaround on performance. AI is awesome for that use case. Do you think demand gen is the best generative AI use case this year for this year? No. Okay. I think it's a very good one. For me, it's like, where's the pain reduction the greatest? And I think long form stuff, there's just still like a ton okay, of... Okay, you think it's still content. I you think, think it's, it's still content. I think it's long okay. form. I just want to make sure. But it mirrors what we see, right? So when we look at our software, the most frequent use components of it are long form, followed by social and ad copy. Mm-hmm. And then beneath that, it's all of the other long tail things. Okay. So demand gen you love. Is there any aspect okay. of demand gen you wouldn't use AI for in the don't use camp before we go on? I would just have human logic around it. Like you may produce an ad through AI that's high converting in Mm -hmm. appearance, but then you find out later on that it's bringing in the wrong people or, you know, just you need judgment. It is not actually intelligent. It is a like, (laughs) it is an incredible machine. But yeah. Okay. We'll do, let's do one more. Brand marketing. Brand marketing. Where do we do and don't use? Brand marketing is such a broad term. I know. Like there's Uh, content in it. There's, I'll I'll use the same approach that I did to product marketing. I would not use it for your brand positioning because that like your history, your values as a company, things that you can't yet teach AI. And I stress Mm -hmm. yet, because I do think that time is coming where you can teach your own models. And we're talking about it a lot at, at Jasper. But for now, like that stuff has to come from and understanding about you as a company and your values. Use it instead for the manifestation of all of that into a bunch of different content, campaigns, ads, et cetera. Okay. I love the use and don't use framework. Also to summarize, demand and content are definitely the biggest and best use cases of generative AI in marketing. Now, doesn't mean that you can't use it across marketing, but those are going to be the most obvious kind of no-brainer use cases. And we've kind of had this framing through the show about being a pioneer. So it's like demand and content are kind of table sticks. How you use it mm. is how you pioneer. And I think, Megan, you've gave, given some great feedback around use the stuff that humans aren't as good at or waste human times so that you could do better research, better topic identification, differentiate your message more. And then yeah. it also seems like there's a way to pioneer and using it in less common areas like product marketing mm-hmm. to do some of the legwork to get the kind of cavalcade of assets that normally come along with a product launch or a product repositioning project, for example, and have AI help you there. Yeah. Is that the, my right distillation of your advice to everybody out there? Yeah, I like that. And, and I also like your point that I called convoluted and backwards around like... <laughs> I love it. Use AI in unexpected ways for the sake of using it in unexpected ways to experiment in the beginning, right? And to see yes. if you hit on gold. 
because this is all just a, it's just a self-teaching model in time right now where like, I'm telling you what I think is the best way. So you're going to go do that. But there could be gold out there that I haven't discovered. And so I would just say play right now. Like these are the best. You met, This is like being a marketer when the internet first came around. Like these Which are the so best fun, by times. The way. So, so fun. fun. We all built our careers on that and our perspectives on the world. And so like, I think you're right, Kip. I think this is on that level. And I would just encourage people to play with it and experiment. All right. I got one last question before we close out today's show. And it's going to be the flip side, which is you're in this unique perspective where you see everybody using generative AI. You're talking to people, you're seeing the data in your platform, all of those things. What are the one or two major AI mistakes that marketing-minded people are making out there? Like, what are the big Mm -hmm. ones that you're just like, avoid these right from the jump? I think an over-reliance on it is one big one. And I mean that in terms of like, hey, outsourcing all your content, but also I mean that in terms of like, you just trust what it says when, you know, it lies confidently. Again, irrational confidence, say I, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think a lack of understanding, like we're going to have to work a little bit here. Like I think a lack of understanding about how how AI works and AI literacy is a problem. You know, Mm. I think so often marketers just sort of like rush to the lowest possible bar when it comes to how to use things, because again, it's not their fault. Like it's not our fault. It's time crunches. It's, it's pressure. You have to just like figure something out fast and move, but it's worth taking a couple of clicks to understand what's actually happening behind the scenes to have it inform your strategy. So I would invest in AI literacy a bit with your team. I think what you're saying is be a student in addition to a user. Don't just be a user, be a student of AI and understand how that change is happening. As you said, you're like, Hey, I've been at this since September and the amount of change in such a short period of time has blown my mind. And so if you're yeah. not a student and an observer, it's going to be really hard to, to pioneer anything in this part of the marketing world, right? That's really well put. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I hope everybody watching loved the discussion today. I know I did. I learned so much from Megan. It's really fortunate that I have people like Megan that I know and, and appreciate Likewise. who have this deep, deep knowledge of something I'm trying to learn so much about. So Megan, I would thank you so much for being a guest host, filling in with Kieran. We had a great conversation and I hope that you're back on the show soon. Love it. Thanks so much for having me. And this was um, as expected a blast. Awesome. All right. We'll see everybody real soon on Marketing Against the Grain.